it's good to see you today, all packed in, kind of. And uh, if you're a guest, we're glad you're here. I'm David. I'm the pastor. If you're online, we're glad to see you. Vacation Bible School, that is unbelievable. We're having it in October, four months after it was originally scheduled, three months after the first rescheduling, and two months after the second rescheduling. We're having VBS, and the reason is real simple. Because it is a priority of priorities to us to help young boys and girls learn about Jesus Christ. That's why. I say it all the time. You get people to Jesus as fast as you can, and that's what it looks like. Vacation Bible School in October. That is so cool in the 90-degree heat. So uh, we're in a series we started in September. Uh, We're going to end it later this month. It's entitled The Man After God's Own Heart. It's about David. King David. King David was a man from the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is, how, this is how they describe David, a man after God's own heart. He honored God. He loved God. He had unbelievable faith in God. He was a man who obeyed God. You, you will never anywhere in all the scriptures see that David ever wavered in his faith, that he ever wavered in his worship, that he ever did anything you know, that, that wasn't just you know, in honoring God in terms of his relationship with God. But we saw last week, David did still sin, like all of us. And he did not honor God in his relationship with other people. And we saw the sin that he had with Bathsheba. And uh, we saw that come about, and now we got to kind of see the result of that. And so today, we're going to be in a message in 2 Samuel chapter 12, entitled, Repentance and the Cruelty of Our Sin. David sinned. What's going to happen as a result of that sin, and how is he going to deal with that? That's what we're going to see today, repentance and the cruelty of our sin. I'll get into the passage in a little bit. Here's what I want you to see. This is important. Our sin is disastrous for us and cruel to others. And while we can repent of our sin, find forgiveness, and follow the Lord, we can never undo the damage of our sin. Listen very carefully. You can never totally undo the damage of sin. Because sin is cruel. We can repent of it. We're going to discover that. And look at that. She can't undo the damage. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit to start off with and just tell you we're a long way from back then. We're a long way from the time of David. 3,000 years ago, about 1,000 BC. And this is what we do. We do this, especially as 21st century Americans. We like to take our culture and our values and the things that we think are okay, we like to take them, and we like to take that little system and place it on other periods of time and other systems and other people and judge them by us, which is the height of arrogance and hubris, to think, oh, we're so wonderful that we can judge other cultures. Here, we're fallen, sinful people trying to look at other fallen and sinful people and see just how fallen and sinful they are compared to our fallen and sinful nature. And somehow we like to make ourselves come out better. And so we do that in the Old Testament. And especially, you know, we're on this side of the cross, and I get it. We even do it in the New Testament. You know, we, 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 we look at it and say, well, they didn't live up to the standard. It's important for us. It's critical for us. It's vital for us to understand that time and that era. Because that's when they lived. And they only lived. They lived. They only had a certain amount of information about God. And they dealt with God the way they understood God. In that day and age... Most people, anybody outside of the area of Israel, were pagans. I mean, they're not just polytheistic. They're absolute pagans. And as pagans, they had the most cruel and vicious types of worship. They would sacrifice their own children to appease the gods. They performed all sorts of immoral sexual acts. I mean, it was a cruel thing. Paganism was built upon the idea that there's lots of different gods and goddesses, all created 
with the imagination of the human mind. And what the little gods and goddesses, or what the gods and goddesses look like, and they would carve, carve little idols about them, is they were just humans kind of on, in either good or bad on steroids. You know? They were just superhumans. They had superpowers, super knowledge. And at the same time, they had super sin, super pride, arrogance, lust, all those things. And their gods and goddesses did not love the people that worshipped them. Love was not a part of paganism. Love just didn't exist in that kind of worship. I mean, the gods and goddesses, they were themselves created beings. They basically created humans to be their toys, their playthings, and to kind of move them around like they wanted. And humans, when, when, when they worshipped their gods and goddesses, it wasn't like the Jews did. It wasn't out of love and devotion. It was a sense of unbelievable obligation. It was to try to appease their gods and goddesses. It was to manipulate them. You go to 1 Kings chapter 18, and, and you see, we did this in May, Elisha with the, the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal, you know, they would cry out, and they would sing and dance and jump and holler and, and hop around, and they would cut themselves and bleed, and, and nothing would happen. And, and Elisha would just mock them, say, hey, maybe your God's asleep. Jump a little higher. Bleed a little more. Maybe They manipulated their gods. There was no love. There was no connection. <clears throat> when they fought wars, it was the gods from different nations battling each other. They were just the pawns and all that. Whatever side won, it was because their gods were more powerful. This was, this was their gods, and their gods were, were chaotic. They weren't in control of everything. It, it was just a mess of no hope, and, and there was despair. And Israel was just the opposite. Their God was just one God. It wasn't that they worshipped one God. He was the only God, and they would tell the surrounding nations, our God is the only God. Your gods don't even exist. And our God is Holy. He's separate from all this mess. He is the one who created all there is. He wasn't created. He loves us. We love him. And when we do wrong, it's a sin against God. And when they went to battle, it wasn't a battle of the gods. It was a battle of two nations, only one of which had a real God. And if they won or lost, it reflected to their way of thinking, their relationship with God. So that if they won, God was pleased with them. But if the Israelites lost a battle, they had done something wrong. So they would go back and repent and ask God, what did we do wrong? Because here's how they view things. This is vital that you understand this for the story of David. Everything that happened, good, bad, or indifferent, was traced to God. Because God was in absolute control of everything. The Jews on that day, as we should today, <clears throat> had an understanding of the absolute sovereignty of God. He is in control of all things. But to their mind, that meant even the bad was because of God. That's how they thought. But in all of that, in their faith, in their view, what they believed, and it came to the New Testament we, and, and on down to we believe, they believed in a faith relationship, a personal relationship with God, and they believed that when you sinned against God, and sin was against God, you repented, you sought forgiveness, and you had faith. And these concepts came out that didn't exist in the pagan religions. Forgiveness, repentance. To be forgiven is, is to come from you confess. You confess your sin, you agree with God about sin, he forgives. To repent is a change in your direction, a change in your life. To repent of sin is to quit living for yourself. Start living for God. Which brings us to the next thing I want us to look at today is repentance. Such an important part of the story of our story. Uh, David, when you come to chapter 12, was in a really dark place. About a year passed from the events at the start of chapter 11. 
And David had strayed from God. It wasn't about worshiping the Baals. It was nothing of that. He's just, he just let his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, and he hadn't confessed it yet. He hadn't got it right with God. He was in a dark place. The child had been born. Some of his psalms describe an emptiness. It's just despair. He was angry and bitter. And Nathan the prophet came to David, and he told him a story. It was happening. He said, this is what's going on in your kingdom. There's two guys. One guy is wealthy. And he's got sheep, he's got cattle, he's got land. And the other guy, his neighbor, doesn't have anything. His family, they have one little lamb. But that lamb, man, that's like a member of the family. It's got a name, it's their pet. They love that lamb. I get that, man. We got, Debbie and I are empty nesters. And we, we got a couple of dogs. We love our dogs, man. I love Chihuahuas, Finn, and Callie. They mean, Callie's so mean. We love, we love those dogs. We love, we love them more than we love any of you. I'm telling you the truth. If something has to happen and I have to choose between your life and their life, you should have a plan B. Shit. <laughs> this. Don't worry. My wife loves those dogs more than she loves me. I tell you that. And, and you know, and when she's in the service at 11 and hears that, she'll probably say, Amen to that, you know. I may love just, just the pet. They love it. Some of you, the dog, maybe you have a cat. Not if you have a lamb, but maybe you have a cat. Maybe you have a you know, hamster. Goldfish, snake, whatever floats your boat, your path. And the guy who was wealthy had someone come and visit him. And he wanted to have a feast, but didn't want to take any of his wealth and his lamb. So he stole the lamb of that family next to him. And he killed that lamb and ate it. And right, you're thinking, right now, you're thinking of your pet, man. Oh, that's just right. I read that. It's right here. It just angers me. It angers me. And a year's worth of bitterness, emptiness, and sin boiled up in David, and he exploded. That man deserves to die for what he did. Well, no one deserves to die for killing a lamb, but he deserves to die. And the law said, if you stole something from somebody, you repay them four times. And David said, he's going to pay four times what he took. Which brings us to verse 7. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. And this is what God said. Nathan's speaking. God's speaking through Nathan. That's you, David. You're that guy who deserves to die. Because of your sin. And then the Lord starts speaking through Nathan. And Nathan's just quoting God. And notice the I, 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 I. First, you see, God gave to David position. He says, I made you king. I anointed you. You didn't deserve it. You were just a shepherd. You were the eighth son of Jesse. You were a nobody. I made you king. And then I gave you, that wasn't enough, protection. When Saul was trying to kill you, I protected you, David. It was me who delivered you. I was that. And then I gave you possessions. I gave you everything Saul had. Back then, when two kings battled, when the one king won, he would take the family of the king that lost, take the wives, children, everything, the slaves. It was his. Now, David technically wasn't battling Saul, but Saul was battling David because there was a change of dynasty. God gave David all of Saul's household to be his. Now, there's no evidence that David like, ever took the concubines and the wives of Saul, anything like that. But they were his servants. All of that I gave you. I gave you both Judah and Israel to be yours. I gave you so much. I'm not giving you more. I gave all of that to you. Then in verse 9, 
through Nathan, God asks this, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in sight? The word despise means to look down on, holding contempt. Now, the word of the Lord just isn't, he didn't have the Bible, didn't have the Old Testament. He had, he had, they had the law, but David was different. The word of the Lord was God's revelation. God had revealed himself to David. God had spoken through the prophets to David. You've looked down on everything the Lord had told you by doing what? Evil. <laughs> you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. You have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. David, you have sinned first against God and second against Uriah. You descend against God by despising his word. Then you sinned against Uriah by you taking his wife. Notice, Bathsheba was still considered the wife of Uriah. You took her. And then you had him killed by someone else's sword, the pagans. Now he's brought this accusation against David. He's brought the charges. Now he's going to tell David what's going to happen. He's going to lay it out there. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. In other words, violence will never leave your house, David. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. So those two sins. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you. God says, I will raise up evil against you from your own house. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. So what he's saying to him is, listen, violence is going to come to your house. And I will bring that upon you as payment for what you have done. Now, what would happen, end up happening is, you know, David said he deserved to die. And then he has to pay four times because, you know, David committed adultery and murder. That deserved death. So there's going to be death in David's house. It's not going to be him. But it's going to happen four times, four of his sons. Now, three of those sons, when the story goes on down the line, you know, his son Amnon, his son Absalom, and Adonijah, they deserve to die because of their sin. But the fourth son, we're going to see in a little bit, didn't. He was totally innocent. But this is going to happen. And then Absalom and his rebellion would take David's wives, and, and he would take them as his own and sleep with them out on the rooftop of David's palace. So that in verse 12, this is what it says. What you did secretly, I will do this thing before all Israel under the sun. Remember last week I said, if you sin long enough and you sin big enough, everybody will know your sin. David tried to keep it silent. He couldn't. Everybody knew. He said, what's going to happen to your humiliation will be in front of any, everyone. This is a pretty stern rebuke. I mean, David's going to lose big time. He'll stay alive. He'll stay his kingdom. But his family is going to be torn and just shattered. And that is exactly what happened. And I told you earlier in the service, you know, your sin, your sin is devastating to you. It's going to be devastating to David. But David's response is what matters. And notice in verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has taken your, away your sin, and you shall not die. One of the important parts of a relationship with God is the confession of sin. It's to admit Say the same thing as God. The idea of confession is to say the same thing as. Confess. Agree with God. And he says, I have sinned. But more than that, David repented of his sin. Now, in, in, this, in this verse, you know, it doesn't really appear as repentance per se. You have to read the rest of David's story and the rest of David's life. Because David's life, gets, David gets back to being who he was. 
Repentance, remember, is a, is a fundamental change, a change from heading in your direction to go to God's direction. So confession of sin is critical, but you can confess your sin and never repent. Saul confessed his sin. Several times Saul confessed sin and never repented. Judas, in Matthew 27, 4, confessed sin. He said, I have betrayed innocent blood. Never repented. Repentance is that change. And you see that. In fact, David wrote two different psalms connected to this event, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And you read those psalms, you see the change to repentance. David says, God, against you and you only have I sinned. I've done what's wicked in your sight. You're right, Lord, when you judge. You, you, when, you, when you speak, you, you, you're blameless, God. You, you have every right. And he said, cleanse me and wash me. Return to me the joy of my salvation. Give me, Lord, the direction I had. It's a change of direction. Why was David so able to repent? It's because David was a man after God's own heart. David had faith, and eventually that faith he had in God, that personal faith, was something that you didn't see in any of the pagans. That faith is connected to repentance. See, faith and repentance are inseparable. If you're a person of faith, you will repent. When you repent, it, it is because of faith. That's why Jesus said, and, and the first, Mark records his first message. In his first message, this is what Jesus said. Repent, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and have faith. When Peter preached at Pentecost for the first time in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, they said, what do we do, Peter, to be saved? How do we have salvation? He says, repent. And then he says, you'll be baptized on the account of the forgiveness of your sin. Because you repent, there's a change, there's forgiveness. But that is salvation. Repentance brings salvation. It's connected to faith. And this is who David is. David was. So here's the thing. David was a man after God's own heart. David, as we said earlier on, lived to honor God. Even in his sin, he would repent of that. So to honor God, you must repent of sin. If you want to live a life that honors God, at some point, you must repent of sin. If you want to live your life to bring honor to God, at some point you must repent of sin. And that's what David did. Now, all the things that were going to happen, happened. But David's relationship with God was restored. He came back to being the king. He had to deal with all these things, but he never again strayed from God like this. And God used David in such a way as that he is still judged to be the man after God's own heart. Now, this, this is a great place to end the message. It's just such a happy place, repentance. And I really probably should just end right now, but I got 11 minutes and 24 seconds left. And I'm not going to let it go to waste. So now, though, as great as repentance is, we have to deal with the cruelty of our sin. Sometimes we have this idea that we tell people we repent and everything will be okay. Well, everything's okay with you and God. Doesn't mean everything's going to be okay. To be honest with you, the couple of verses that follow are hard. I struggle with them. I don't struggle with the theology or the doctrine or the rationale. I get all that. I'm good. But just David struggles when children die. It's hard. It's hard to understand. And I know a lot of people come to this passage and, and they see what God is doing and they struggle with it. It's okay to struggle, by the way. I hope it's okay, because I struggle. You know, I've been Christian 50 years. I got multiple degrees. I have pretty good working knowledge of things, and I have faith in God like no one I know. I don't think any of you have as much faith in God as I have in Christ. But I will tell you this, I still struggle. Because I'm human, I'm fallen. Sometimes it's hard. 
And so these next few verses are hard. So let me remind you of this. Sin is cruel. Sin is cruel. Don't look over sin lightly. Don't take sin lightly. It's cruel. And innocent people suffer because of sin. Innocent people will always suffer because of our sin. This is not God's fault. This is our fault. David understood that. Verse 14 says this. However, man, however's can be tough. However, because by this deed, notice, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born to you shall surely die. So Nathan went into his house, and then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David. He was very sick. Notice a couple of things. One, this child is described as the child that was born to Uriah's widow. So one of the things you need to see is this child was considered illegitimate. Okay. Now, you and I may say, well, that's, that doesn't matter in, in our culture. I know, I get that. But what you need to realize is by this, is what he's saying is this child's going to grow up in your family. And this child may one day want to lay claim to the throne. I mean, it's not going to be in, in, in common. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Three of the, old, the three oldest sons are all going to die. And, and that, that can't happen. It, it, it would not be the right way for the, for the line to go. But the other thing he said, and this is so we, we, we gloss over this in verse 14. You, David, in your sin have caused other nations to blaspheme God, to slander God, to curse God. Now remember, the world around them were thoroughly pagan. And they hated the Israelites. And they hated the idea they had this one God. And Israel will tell you, our God is holy. Our God is righteous. Our God is not like your gods. He doesn't have to have children sacrificed to him. He doesn't require moral depravity of, 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 of just horrible sins. Our God is an honorable God, and the king is to reflect that. Now, David did something that's completely unhonorable, dishonorable. And the question is, how is God going to deal with David? Because God can't, if God is truly just, he can't let David get away with this. And, the, and if God doesn't do something, all the other nations are going to start blaspheming God. And the solution, God says, David, you get to live. But the child dies. And I know that's hard, but if we, if we were to read on in the story, David immediately begins to be David again. He begins to pray and to ask God and to fast. And he says, if God, let my child live. Let my son live. We all would do that. David does that. Seven days. I mean, and all his servants are so worried about David doing this. What's, how's David going to react? And the child dies, and they don't know what to do to tell him. And David understands, he realizes something's different. He said, the boy's dead, right? And they said, yeah. David gets up, gets cleaned up, says, I'm hungry, let me eat. And they say, what? How have you changed all this? And David, here's what David says. I was praying because I thought, who knows, God might be gracious to me. Not the child, to me. David understood. He was totally to blame for all of this. I thought God in his graciousness, his grace of God, might let the boy live. But he didn't. So here's what I know. I can't raise him back to life. Only God can do that. One day, I mean, he will never come to me, but one day I'll go to him. Now, Oftentimes when people come to this passage and they see what David says, some, you know, and, you know a, lot of, a lot of people who are really smart and who study the Bible a lot, they just, sometimes they just don't get things. 
They will say, well, David wasn't talking about life after death because they didn't have a developed concept. And I know they didn't have a developed concept. They had a concept. He was just talking about death. But this isn't the language of death. death. David didn't say, listen, he went to the grave. I can't bring him back. But when did I go to the grave with him? He said, he can't come to me personal, but I will go to him as if he is alive, not in the grave. See, David believed that one day he would be with his innocent child. He had that kind of faith in God, which is why we believe when children die, they go to be with God. If you don't believe that, you've got problems in the way you view God. So David understood this. He understood it fought lie with him, lay with him. We look at it, though, and we say, but, but did God really have to do that? And so in our Western 21st century mind, the way we think, we ask this question. Did God decide what would happen or did he simply describe what happened? So we're kind of, if God just described what was happening, hey, David, because of this, the child's going to get sick and die. I'm just letting you know ahead of time. We're like, oh, okay. But did God decide it would happen? And the answer to the question, to that question is yes. <laughs> Both. <laughs> because here's the thing. They never thought that way. We think that way. But we can't take the way we think and just place it over that day. Back then... They thought differently. You see, David understood that God was in control of everything. God was in control of life and death. Of course, God could have had the child live. Just like God could have the child die. It was all in God's hands. It wasn't about God's guilt or God's culpability. It was about David's sin. David understood, I've sinned. This is all my fault. God is holy and to be glorified. I did this. I'm responsible. Sin is cruel. Don't sin. We don't like that. Here's the world we live in, right? This is the world we live in. We want the freedom from God to live however we want. God, don't tell me how to live. Don't get involved in the bedroom with me. Don't give me a list of commands. Don't tell me I got to follow Jesus. Don't tell me any of that stuff. God, let me live how I want to live. But when, when we blame God, when we face the unavoidable result of our rebellious freedom, we want to be free to rebel against God. And when things go wrong, we blame God because we're sinful, wicked, fallen people who want to blame God for everything. When God says, I gave you the freedom. And when we say, well, why can't God stop evil? Why, why can't God stop an innocent child from dying? Why can't God stop some of the things we see in our culture today? Why can't God do something about the suffering? Well, here's the thing. God can do something about suffering right now. But that would violate our freedom. Why doesn't God end all the hunger somewhere in some dark part of the world? Because there were people who governed those nations who in their sinful, godless, hard heart keep their people oppressed and poor and suffering because of their sin. God gave them the freedom to do that. Hey, listen. There's plenty of food in the world right now to feed the whole world. Plenty. America throws away. How many of you are going to, no, raise your hand, going to throw away food at lunch today? You know you're going to. You're going to say, I ain't throwing away. I'm going to stuff myself. But you know, we waste stuff all the time. That's not God's fault. We're wasteful. It's our fault. And God says, you're free. You want to do something about all the things that's wrong in the world? You have the freedom to do something about it, but you don't want to do it. You want to live in rebellion against me, and then you want to blame him. Because we have not repented the way we should of our sin. 
Sin is always cruel. But there's good news, and here's the good news. In Christ, God dealt with sin and the cruelty of sin once for all. God, why don't you do something about sin? God says, I have. I sent Jesus, went on that cross, and he died for you. And he took your sin upon him, and he paid the price. And if you will trust him, he will take your sin and guilt away, and you have life everlasting. But the cruelty of sin until Christ comes again will stay. And he's not going to do anything about that. And here's why. Because Christ gave us the freedom in Christ to, be, to live in, in, in life, to glorify God and have that relationship. But God left the cruelty of sin because he left us free people. And God is patiently giving us time to turn to him. You see, the reason God doesn't do and just completely wipe out all of the suffering is because he'd have to end all of humanity. Christ would have to come. When Christ comes again, suffering ends. When Christ comes again, it ends. But Christ tarries in coming so that we will have time to repent. See, to God, the opportunity to repent is more important than doing away with the cruelty of sin. Understand this. To God, giving people the opportunity to repent is more important than doing away with the cruelty of sin. For now. So here's the thing. How do I deal with this issue of the suffering? How do I take this? I don't fully get it all and make it work. It's simple. I'm a person of faith because I repented. The very nature of faith means that as a sinful, fallen person, I may not understand how God deals with sin, but I always trust God to do what is right. I am comfortable saying that I don't understand how God deals with sin. I don't. I, I mean, I get it in theory, but sometimes I just don't. But because I have faith, I trust God to do what's right. Well, David and Bathsheba would have one other boy, and that boy would be Solomon. And Solomon would be king. And Jesus can be traced to David right through Solomon. Because God has a way of seeing things like we don't. Some of you may be right now struggling with all of this. And so let me ask you a question. Do you sometimes look at God and say, why do you do this, God? God, why do you let all this happen? Do you look at God and say, God, this is all your fault. God, you could do something about it. Do you blame God for what goes wrong? Know this, David never did. Because he was a man after God's own heart. To be a person after the heart of God is to have faith and trust God, not to blame him. Some of you today may be struggling in your life with what's going on in your heart, in your life, your sin. You may have sin that you're dealing with, and so today you need to repent of that sin. And ask God to forgive you like David. In a moment when we're standing here, if you need to repent of sin, come and ask God to forgive you of your sin. But some of you are struggling with your faith. Some of you have no faith in Christ, so we invite you to give your life to Christ and come and trust Jesus. But some of you are struggling because you're struggling with the cruelty of sin. And you can't quite reconcile that with God. I invite you to do this. To understand that all that's required of you is to trust God that he will do what's right. 
and let God work in your life to get you to a place where you can understand the cruelty of sin. Because here's the thing. To be a person after God's own heart is to trust him. Even though we know that sin is cruel. Father, we thank you for David's story. And we thank you that, Father, we can look at David and see a man of great faith. And while we may struggle just like David in our lives and with our sin, God, David never struggled with the cruelty of sin. He understood it was his fault. I want to be where David is, Father. I want to be the guy who repents of sin, who is a person who loves you and honors you and have faith and after your heart. And I want to be the person, while I may not understand the cruelty of sin, that I trust you to do what's right. And I trust you, Father, to do what's best. Because God, above all else, I want to honor you and glorify you in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand if you need to come? We'll pray with you, whatever you come. We'll be here.